after his injection, of course, we knew that he got home when all was well. He's apparently feeling good and working on stuff around the house and doing good. So we thank God for that. Uh, Derek had a fantastic report at the heart do- at the cardiologist. His heart is healthy and he's cleared for surgery. Yay. So praise God. That's a that's a wonderful, wonderful. In report. fact, the doctor couldn't believe how healthy his heart was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because of his size. Yes. 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 So praise God. Um, you know, and that actually says a lot because, and not being ugly or not agreeing with the doctor, just to agree with the doctor. But you know, this is uh, this is the doctor that uh, that they use for cardio clearance for for probably a large percentage of their patients that have this type of surgery. And so I told Derek, I said, well, it sounds like he was actually surprised. He was expecting there to be some heart issues, and for him to keep going. Wow, for your size, like, it looks good. Like, wow, you're this big and your heart looks like this. This is good. So, yeah, it was an excellent report. Um, so, we're th- which is exactly what we believed for. Um, so, that's wonderful. And then, um, so we're still standing and believing that uh, when Mari's dad, Alan, goes to the doctor on tomorrow, that he'll have a good report. And then when Derek goes for his GI uh, scan on Friday, that that also comes back with a good report. And then I have another area of prayer um, that uh, I'm going to ask our church to join in to. I kind of mentioned it with our prayer group, but uh, we hadn't gotten real far into it. But I've actually been emailing with a pastor, Joshua. Oh, Lord, Joshua, forgive me if I get your last name wrong. Um, Weeksa? Weeksa. It's W-E-K-E-S-A. He's actually, he's, he actually follows us on Facebook. Um, he's been following us for a long time on Facebook. I knew about him uh, following us, um, but I didn't realize he was a pastor. But he's following us on Facebook, and he's reached out to us um, and, and a couple different times and, and has um, invited us to reach into Kenya. Um, and he just loves our ministry. And I kind of had a feeling that Easter Sunday service, I, I kind of had a feeling I'd get we, we'd get Joshua's attention. And, and yes, she did say Kenya. Yes, Kenya, <laughs> Africa. Uh, because, you know, they deal with a lot of that type of stuff uh, in Africa. Um, so, yeah, I, I, as soon as <laughs> he emailed me, because he, he, I'm trying to get rid of the Disciples House, at G, uh, Disciples House Men at Gmail and go with just the DHM Gmail. Um, and he reached out to us on both emails and was like, hey, hey. <laughs> um, so, so I kind of had a feeling. So we've been going back and forth with him a little bit. Um, and he has seven churches in Kenya. So he actually lives in Uganda, which is so uh, I had to look it up on the map. Uganda and Kenya are right next to each other on the east side of Africa east side of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, he has seven churches, but all of his churches are what you call house churches. They're in rental houses. So it's not like it's a big church or, or a church like what we have. They meet in houses. Um, but they have to, uh, of course, he has to fund those houses. Um, and his churches uh, all have baby Christians. So he, he's got his hands full uh, because he's pastoring a whole bunch of baby Christians. Uh, so I was telling him, yes, we're praying for you. 
Uh, we know that it's a lot to, uh, to have a lot of baby Christians under your care, so we've been praying that the Lord, um, that the Lord strengthen him and keep him and give him all wisdom and understanding of Christ um, so that he could withstand in, in, so that he stays strong. Um, and that we also have been praying that his congregations turn from sin and walk in a relationship with God um, in the abundant life that Jesus came to give them. Because how much, you know, I mean, that's simple. He's, he's pastoring seven churches. It's simple to know and understand. He needs strength. He needs wisdom. He needs knowledge. He's got churches full of baby Christians. Well, those baby Christians need to turn from sin, and um, they need to learn to walk with God in the relationship with God that Christ came to give them. So those are easy things. Um, we also have been praying that uh, his congregational people will uh, have a growing hunger on the inside for God um, and that they respond to that hunger. That's the same thing we, we pray for people here in in America and people that are on our prayer list that need God or, or are proclaimed Christians, but you can't tell it by their walk, we pray that they have a hunger for God. So, um, and, and uh, his heart, bless his heart, he said, I just invite you to reach into Kenya. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. Um, so I explained to him that we don't do anything unless the Lord tells us to do it. That everything we believe in, Psalms 127 that says that um, unless God uh, builds it, <laughs> we labor in vain. So we don't we we firmly believe in um, not stepping out unless things are of God, for sure, and it not in, unless things are uh, rooted in prayer. So we told them, you know, we're praying and we are believing for them, um, but uh, but before we can actually reach into Kenya in the natural, we have to reach into Kenya through the spirit. So I just ask you just to join with us. Just, just you know, in your prayer time, just lift Kenya up and Pastor Joshua up and his churches. Um, and I told him, you know, if he could let us know specific needs, we would lift those specific needs up. Um, and that's when he told me that his churches are in rental houses and uh, their rent is past due. So they need finances to pay for their rent. Um, you know, and that's understandable. Listen, baby Christians are not good tithers. <laughs> baby Christians are not good tithers. So uh, it's understandable that they're under financial pressure. Uh, but God doesn't want anybody under financial pressure. What we need is we pray and believe that Satan takes his hand. We command Satan to take his hands off of Pastor Joshua's finances, off of those churches' finances, that he released them and let them go, that he returned the sevenfold from everything that they've stolen from them, um, and that uh, the angels go get it and bring the money in. There's no pressure on us to provide anything. That's God's job. Uh, the other thing that he told us that he had a need of, which I was kind of shocked, and I actually had to go look up some information, um, in his churches he has 100 children that are orphans. 100 orphan children that, uh, and he asked us to pray that they get food and water. And other needs met. And, and, and their other needs met. But he specifically said, just pray for them to have food and water. Pray for them to have food and water. Um, and I got, and I, so I looked up what was the orphanage, because I thought, man, you know, these are seven house churches, and they've got 100 uh, orphans. And I got to looking at it. 
in Uganda, now the data that I found was actually several years old, so I'm sure that it's probably even higher now. Um, but the, the number that I got was there was 3.8 million, with an M, 8 million uh, orphans or children under the age of 18 that are vulnerable. Um, and and uh, uh, it's like a million of them, a million plus of them have lost both mother and father. Uh, and then, uh, or I, I, don't get me right, don't, don't, don't get me on that number, but a large percentage of them are, are complete orphans. They, have, they don't have a mother or a father or what have you. Um, and as I understand it, AIDS is a huge reason in Kenya uh, for why the orphan issue is so horrible. Um, but it's not only uh, the AIDS, but it's also cultural beliefs and behaviors. Uh, just, there's just a lot of reason for it. Um, so we're just going to lift up Pastor Joshua and his churches um, and just believe uh, for the best. And, you know, and we know this, you know, because I know some people, and, and no offense intended to, to Joshua or his churches or anything. It's just an issue we deal with here in America. Um, we know and understand that um, there's a lot of scammers out there and a lot of people that try to scam. Um, and and uh, a lot of this is rooted and based coming out of Africa. Uh, so I, I imagine some people are like, well, how do we know this isn't a scam? We don't. And I'm not being ugly and I'm not being rude. So far, he's, Joshua has not asked for anything unreasonable. He's not been unreasonable. Everything's been very on the up and up as far as I know. Uh, but here's the deal. God knows. And this is why we root everything in prayer. Uh, so if there is something that's not right behind it, God will reveal it and show it. Uh, but I don't think that's the case here. I really don't. Um, I, I, I think that this is truly a young pastor who's on fire for God, and he's doing his very best to take God into a region um, where there just hasn't been Jesus. So uh, we, it doesn't hurt us at all to pray. It doesn't hurt us at all to pray. Um, in fact, being in prayer helps, uh, helps the kingdom. You know, Jesus told us to go into all the world. Um, and as I told Pastor Joshua, you know, um, prayer is not weak. Prayer is not ineffective. Um, and there's no distance in the spirit. Um, and, I, and I will say this in email, and this is part of why I, don't, why I really believe this is on the up and up, is because I've listened to my spirit, and I've tried by email to say, uh, we're a small church. We're not ready to go out <laughs> into these foreign lands. And every time I would type that sentence, there would be that scratch on the inside going, no, that's not what you say. And I delete it, and I try to reword it, and I type it a little different, and I get that scratch on the inside. Nope, that's not what you say. So then, so then I said, okay, this is what we know about you. This is what we're praying. Uh, we're not doing anything except for praying, but our prayers are powerful. And he said, then pray for this. So we're going to pray for that. Pray that their financial needs are met, that the rent's paid in the houses, and that the orphan children get food and water. How much you know? That's a very reasonable prayer request that agrees with the Word of God, and we can do that. Glory to God. So we're going to do that. Is there any other prayer requests in the night? Yes. 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 Good. 
Okay, good. Yes, yes. With hospice care, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just continue to lift up Dawn and that whole family. Yeah. Because you're also still grieving uh, the passing of your dad as well. So, yeah, we just need to lift them up for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get right into the word tonight. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, oh, for your loving kindness. Father, we just, oh, we're so thankful to be gathered in the house and online. Father God, we thank you for, for uh, Father, we just thank you that you're using us to reach just every place you'd have us to reach, and we're so thankful for that. And, Father, we just give you all the honor and the glory. We thank you for the good report. We thank you that our prayer request for Mari has, is um, effective and working. We thank you that uh, Derek's good report from the cardiologist, that his heart is healthy. We're so thankful for that, Father God. We thank you that when Alan goes to the doctor tomorrow, that there will be a good report, Father. We thank you. And, Father, you know, I... We, Pastor Mike and I have been lifting up Pastor Joshua and, and uh, the churches there in Kenya. And, Father, now as the church, we as a church lift them up to you, Father God. We ask that you strengthen, that you equip, that you make able. Uh, Pastor Joshua, that you give him the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of, that, of, of who he is in Christ and what he has, Father God. And that you give him the wisdom and the knowledge to know how to operate his churches effectively as a good witness in Christ. Satan, we command you to take your hands off of those churches, off of those people, and off of those finances in Jesus' mighty name. We command you to release them, release the money, uh, uh, let it go, that money that, that belongs to him and to his churches and to his congregational members, and also that which you have stolen from them, uh, because I know that there's much thievery in that area. And we command you to release those churches and those finances and those people in Jesus' mighty name. Ministering angels, we go. We command you to go to cause favor, to cause the finances to come, to cause them to have favor in every area. Now, Father, we speak to you about these little children there in Kenya, these orphans that are in uh, Pastor Joshua's churches, Father God, specifically Father, we ask that you supernaturally provide food and water for them, that they grow healthy and strong, that they know their provision comes from the Lord. For, Father, you said in your word that you know their need. And so, Father, we just thank you in advance for meeting that need. And, Father, we give you all the honor and the glory. Father, we thank you uh, for good reports coming out of Kenya. And, Father, we thank you for uh, our sister Dawn and Daryl. Father, we know that uh, they're, uh, that they've got a lot going on. Uh, Don's father is um, in hospice care. Father, perhaps making the transition to heaven. 
Father, you know his heart. You know his, his desire. You know his situation. And so, Father, we just ask your hand of God to be upon him, to be upon Don and Daryl and Shelby and the whole family. Give them supernatural peace, supernatural wisdom, supernatural knowledge in this day and in this hour. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness as we approach your word. Father, we ask that you open up the eyes of our understanding that we may know and understand your word. And Father, we just ask that you place it down, that you help it to drop down into our hearts where we can keep it and contain it as your word tells us to do. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. See, it doesn't do any harm to lift up these regions. Thank you, Father. Well, we're doing, this is our third week in the book of Revelations. Um, yes, let's not forget. Let's not forget. Let us not forget to do our confession because our confession helps us to grow in the things of God. This, this is, is my Bible. Bible. It, it is, is always, always true, true and the, the final authority. authority. My, my Bible is God talking to me. me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's, God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. Praise God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, uh, we're waking our way through the book of Revelation. Uh, and I just want to point out as we go through this, we're going we're gonna to get to chapter, we're going to do chapter 3. We might touch on chapter 4. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. Uh, but we're not going to, we're, we're breaking down this, to, to what Jesus had to say to the seven churches, because that's pertinent to, to what's happening today within the churches. But we may not break down every scripture thoroughly as we go, because uh, um, we just may not. <laughs> we, we don't need to take two years just going through one book. Although we could, but no, we're not going to do that. But I do want to turn your eyes to uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and just put you in remembrance what our obligation is and what we're doing this for. One of Revelation. Uh, Revelation 1, verse 3. And, he, and here's what uh, the angel, the servant of the Lord, had to say about this book uh, that God wanted us to know. He said, blessed he that readeth it. So we understand our first obligation is to read the book. So that's what we're doing. We're reading the book. The second obligation is that they that hear the words of this prophecy. Um, so the second thing we need to do is we need to hear it. But it's not talking about hearing it with your physical ear. It's talking about hearing it with your spiritual ear. Hear it with the spirit. Um, listen to what the spirit says. You know, you can read the Bible like it's another book on the shelf. But you're not going to get, and many, many, many people read it like it's another book on the shelf, but you're not going to get out of it what you should if you do that. No, we need to hear it with our spiritual antenna. We need to hear the, what the Lord is saying with our spiritual antenna up. Um, and, and then it says, hear the words of this prophecy. We need to understand that prophecy talks about 
past, present, future. Um, and that's what this book does, is it talks about everything. Not everything in the book is chronological, as we'll see. Um, and then the third obligation is to keep those things which are written therein. Where are we to keep them? We're to keep them in our heart so that the Holy Spirit can bring them back up to us. Um, and, and so that we can have peace and calmness in this day and in this hour. So that's what we've been doing. I'm not going to review anything, other, anything else. We're going to jump immediately to chapter 3. Uh, we do know that when he says, write to the angel, he's talking to the pastors of these churches. Um, and that these letters are being read out loud to the churches. So while it's addressed to the pastors, it also um, pertains to the individual people in the churches. And uh, so tonight we're going to look at the last three churches. And uh, so we're going to start right here in um, chapter 3, verse 1. And if you're like, I don't understand some things, go back and listen to the prior sermons. Otherwise, we won't ever get through this thing. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. All right. <clears throat> and unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Now that sounds a little weird, but Jesus, we know, we know from uh, earlier on that the seven stars are the what the is what is written as the angels. But we showed you that these are the pastors of the churches, um, and we know that the seven stars is the characteristics of the spirit. So he said, I've got the pastors in my hand. No, that He's... was the seven spirits that are the characteristics. Yes. You said that backwards. But go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yes. The seven spirits of God, yes, are the seven characteristics of the Holy Ghost. So basically he's saying, these things hath he that hath the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Ghost, and the seven stars, that is the pastors. So he said, this is what I know. This is what the Holy Spirit knows. He said, I know thy works. In other words, I know what you guys are doing. He said, that thou hast a name that thou livest. In other words, you have a reputation that you're in a live church. The church of Sardis. He said, your reputation in and around the communities is you're a, is you're a church that's alive unto God. He said, but actually, you're dead. But actually, you're dead. He said, actually, you're dead. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of people, you know, a ministry can start off alive. But they can get just in the routine and the, rudim the rudimentaries and just, and just go about action by action. Um, but actually, there's no life to them. Their candlestick's gone. The well, anointing's it's going been taken. to be going. It's, it's working towards being gone. Um, in other words... And, and we tend to note, we tend to see this happen, Lord forgive me, we tend to see this happen when a ministry passes from one generation to the next. That's typically when you begin to see this happen. Why? Because the person, just because a person is called to do a ministry does not automatically mean that their children are the ones that are going to carry the mantle. Right, right. right. It's, it's, not, it's not generation to generation. We saw that 
We see this even in the Old Testament where, uh, you know, the fathers of old would get things right. They'd be following God. They'd be doing God, uh, doing things right. And then they would pass what they were doing. They, were, they would pass their mantle, so to speak, over to their children. And the children were in all kinds of sin and defilement. Think of Korah. Think of Korah. Think of the, there are several other ones that you could name, but Korah is one of the most famous ones. You know, they were defiling the temple, and they were eating the temple meat, and they were doing all kinds of stuff they shouldn't have been doing. Well, how much you know? The, everybody in the land knew that that was his father's ministry, but that doesn't mean that Korah was the one called to take the ministry. Think about, um, I'll give you a really good example. Go to Joshua chapter 1. I wasn't going to go here, but I'll give you a perfect example. And, of course, you have to. You have to say that this isn't always the case. No, this is not always the case, but it does tend to be the case a lot of times. Come here, Joshua. Where'd you go? Joshua chapter 1. See, like other businesses, a lot of times the children will carry on for the fathers, but not always. Right. And the same thing for, same thing for God's work. Right. So Joshua chapter 1 says, Now after the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that, lo that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun. See, Moses' children didn't take on the ministry. The ministry was passed to Joshua, who was the son of Nun. And he said, Moses, uh, Moses he, said, he said, say unto Joshua, the son of Nun's, um, Moses' minister. In other words, Joshua served Moses. He was Moses' servant. Who did the mantle pass to? It didn't pass to the lineage of Moses. It passed to Joshua, who was doing basically ministry under Josh, under Moses. So, so that's kind of what could be the case in Sardis' church. Um, is, and, and it doesn't say that that's the case, and these are young churches. But I'm just saying, typically speaking, you see this a lot when a ministry passes from one generation to the next. That's why you can have churches that are 100 plus years old and yet be a dead church because they've passed down through the lineage and, and the person, but there's no anointing. They may have, a, at one point in time, they may have been in a live church, but then they've become dead. And we can all see that and understand that. So look at what he. So now let's find. Now that we understand what the condition of this church is, let's find out what he says to the to the pastor and those that are in this church. He says, "Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die." So he tells them. He said, "Not everything you're doing, the church as a whole is dead." He said, "But not everything is dead." He said, "So watch." And he said, so he said, watch these things and strengthen the things that remain. Perhaps, uh, perhaps this church knows how to worship well. Perhaps this church can still, um, maybe, uh, maybe there's still an anointing present for people to get healed. Or maybe there's still a, maybe there's still an anointing there for people to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. You know, maybe maybe there's still an anointing there for strong teaching, for good solid teaching. So he tells the pastor, he said, the things that you, the things that are still 
operating in your church that are alive, maintain them. Be watchful. Don't and, let them go. Not, Don't let them fall in Maintain bed. them, but strengthen them. Yes. Make them, yeah, make, the, make those things stronger. All right. And then he goes on, for I have not found thy works perfect before God, which means finished or... Uh, or um, this word well, actually this word, doesn't mean mature, because I actually went and looked it up. This word, really what it means is this church is not fulfilling God's plan and purpose. This church is not, they're doing works, but their church are not, but, but the works that they're doing are ineffective. They're not really meeting God. See, God has a plan and a purpose for every ministry. Our ministry, our plan, God's plan and purpose for our ministry is to prepare a people ready for Christ. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to get people ready for the coming of Christ. Another part of our purpose is to teach a true move of the Holy Ghost. That's another part of our purpose. Another part of our purpose is, it's in the name, Disciples House, is to be a house full of disciples that go out and minister to the world, and then they come back in and get refreshed when they need it. Those are our three purposes. Now, if Michael and I say, well, we really want to have, which we do have a strong healing ministry because um, that's how you get people into the house, uh, of course, but if we decided we wanted to, oh, I don't know, be the love house of God, not inappropriately, but we, if we felt like our job was to show the love of Jesus to the world through acts of service, then we would not be, then those acts of service would be ineffective for fulfilling the call of teaching, them, teaching a true move of the Holy Ghost because our job is not called. Um, Pastor Craig's house, up in Mississauga, Ontario, uh, they are called to be a house of love. That's what they're called to. They're called to show and, and just to be, a, honestly, to be an oasis of love. That's part of their, when people come into that house, they just, oh, the love of God and the presence of God. That doesn't mean we don't show the love. It's just not our focus. Does that make sense? And another, um, right. another example would be if, if, if Robbie and I decided we were going to go be missionaries to Kenya. Not our flow. <laughs> not, 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 not God's plan for us. It right. doesn't mean we won't raise up somebody to go be missionaries to Kenya. Correct. But that's not his call for us. Correct. Yeah, because listen, there's not, at this current time, because God could change it, at this current time, there is not an evangelist bone in me. There's not. There's not. I, and I'm not being ugly. I mean, there's just not. I that, leave that job to the evangelist when he gets them saved and bring them into the house and I'll mature them and grow them up. Huh? <laughs> right. She said, you get there, look around, get turned, say, no, nope, this isn't my spot. I'm getting back on the plane. <laughs> I got to have my showers. I got to have, listen, I love these people. I love this place. And it was so funny. I was thinking about this. I was trying to get out of this, honestly, this whole Kenya thing. I was trying to get out of it. And the Lord said, have you not been talking to me about the people of color? And I said, well, Lord, I said, but I want, I want, the, I want, the, I want the multi-ethnical church in here. Not there. Not there, Lord. But no, seriously, my job is not to get people. That's not my gift. Plans and purposes. He said, I know they work, and now your works are not perfect. If Michael and I decided to go evangelize, 
uh, that's not going to work. But if God said, no, they've already been evangelized, now go teach them and train them, then that would be a different flow altogether. Do you see the difference? So whatever the job was of Sardis, of this church at Sardis, they were not fulfilling their plan and their purpose. Not only does God have a plan and a purpose for every ministry, but he has a plan and a purpose for every service. For every service. All right, so let's keep going. All right, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. <gasps> Uh-oh. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Another word, so this church, because he, he's telling them, he's telling this pastor and these people, remember what you received and heard, which means once upon a, that, that live, they were once in the church when that church was alive. Because they received when the church was alive, and they heard when the church was alive. But now the church is dead. There's been a change. We don't know what the change is, but there's been a change in the church. So he tells them, whole, he tells them, he said, remember what you've received and what you've heard. When you end up in this church that seems to be dying, some of us can relate. When you end up in this church that seems to be dying, hold on to what you've heard in the past. Hold on to what you have received. Look at what he said. I talked about this last week. Did he say run away because it's a dead church? No. He didn't he say said, flee. He didn't say flee because it's, a, because it's a dead church. He said, or a dying church. He said, hold fast. Hold fast. Michael and I can relate to this because we were in a church that was once very much so alive. The spirit flowed. The gifts flowed. They were fulfilling their call. They were doing what they were supposed to do. The pastor got into, uh, came under stress, came under pressure, got into sin, uh, and the devil took him out prematurely. The wrong people were put into position, and God allowed it for a season, but when that season was over, they should have bailed. They didn't bail. But we still had a reputation for being alive, but there were many things in the church that were now dead. Not everything was dead. But many things were dead. Now, we held on to what we had because being Holy Ghost ministers, um, we were called, our call from the get-go is to teach a true move of the Holy Ghost and prepare a people. So while we have the youth upstairs, we're having Holy Ghost flow. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, while downstairs in the sanctuary, there is no Holy Ghost flow. The Yes. Huh? No, we taught it. We taught it. They understood it. They were a little. They they were frustrated, but they but they were not confused. Okay, so he said, "Hold fast." But now, even though that was the situation, now we're now. Let me be clear. We were not defiant to our pastors. No, our pastors knew what we were doing. They just weren't comfortable with it. They didn't know how to operate it. So they said. You just be you and do you. And I said, praise God, I will. Because <laughs> I don't know how to be anything else. So we weren't disobedient. We were holding on to what we had. And because they didn't know how to flow in it, they, they were like, well, hold on to it because we don't know. Um, in either case, but look at what he said. He said, hold fast. He didn't say run away and leave. He said, stay put. We stayed put. Not everybody did. But Jesus said, when you find yourself in this church, Hold fast. 
When he put you in that church when it was alive, he knew it was going to come to the place where it was going to be borderline dead. He knew it. He knew it. He didn't say, well, I only want you to stay here till it dies or till it starts to die. He said, I want you to hold fast. He said, just hold fast. So that's what he told these people in Sardis. He said, uh, if you're part of the problem, repent. If you're not part of the problem, he said, he said number one, hold on. Uh, to, he said, receive what he said. Don't forget what you've received and what you've heard. Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. And if you're part of the problem, repent. If you're part of the problem, repent. In other words, if there's somebody in the church keeping something alive, instead of kind of standing off and going, I don't know, go to them and say, Why, what, what, what knowledge do you have that I don't have? How, what, you know, they should have repented. They should have repented. All right. Let's read on. All right. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. He said, listen. He said, if you're not going to watch, if you're not going to pay attention, if you're not going to repent, if you're not going to, he said, the day's coming That's when I'm going to. That's talking about removing the candle. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove that candlestick and you won't even know it. In our situation, the Lord came to us months ahead of time. Now, he spoke to Michael's heart and said, you're fixing to be a pastor. And Michael said, okay, but I'm keeping that to myself, Lord. You're going to have to make it happen. I'm the person of details. I needed details. So in April, the Lord, me and the Lord were having a long conversation, and he said, I'm getting ready to remove your pastors. See, I was watching. He was watching. They, on the other hand, weren't watching. When their life blew up, it was a surprise. It was a surprise to them because they weren't watching. So he said, Pastor, watch or I'm coming, and it's going to shock you and surprise you. It'll be like a thief in the night. Verse 4. Thou hast few names even in Sardis, or hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. So they had a few people that were still doing, they were still following the Lord. They were still doing everything he'd called them to do, and they, were, and they weren't denying the Lord. They were, they were following right along with where they should be. Even though, even though things in the church weren't right, there were some people that were getting it right. They were, they were staying clean with the Lord. And he says, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Glory, Glory to God. God. He Glory that overcometh God. the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So this is, this is different people here. He's saying those that, that repent and get right and overcome the, 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 the trials and the tests that are here, they're going to get that white raiment as well. So, so there's... I, Pastor Michael and I kind of differ on this a little bit, just a little bit. Um, he says, he said, there's some that haven't defiled their clothes. He said, and those, he said, they're already going to walk with me in white because they're worthy. But he's also referring to those, here he's also referring to the, um, and then he says, then he says, he that overcometh. That he that overcometh includes two people, two classes. It could be those that stand fast. It, it, it includes those that have held fast and didn't defile in that dying church. And it's also those that were in that dying church that repented and got their walk right. Exactly. It takes both. It, so so that's why there's kind of this, this he, says, he says, the ones that haven't defiled me, he said, 
they shall walk with me in white raiment, for they are worthy. He's like, that's good. But then he goes on and he clarifies it, and he's basically saying, for those that repent and that uh, that walk that didn't follow their clothes, um, the, those would be the ones that overcome, um, and the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So he's saying. Uh, rather you have, if rather you never defiled your clothes or you repented and overcame these things, either way, uh, you're going to walk in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And that's right there is how you know he's talking about two, both classes of people because for it to, for it to, for where it says he that overcome for that to only be the people that repented would mean that the people that didn't defile their clothes, that their name would be blotted out of the book. And that can't possibly be so. So that's why it, that's why it contains both people. So I want you just to kind of mark uh, verse 5, um, because we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit more in depth in a little bit. But So we'll finish reading this and go ahead and move on, and then we'll come back. Right. Verse 6. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches which that's how you know he's done with that church. Right. All right. And to the angel of the church of Phila in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. In every one of these greetings, Jesus greets, uh, tells them to greet a little differently. You'll notice when he greeted Sardis, he said, um, these, things, these things saith he, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And then he says, well, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead, indicating you have a reputation for having the Holy Spirit, but you don't. Isn't it interesting that he talked about having the Holy Spirit, and yet he's fussing at them for not having the Holy Spirit in the church? And then here he is talking to the church of Philadelphia. This is not the Philadelphia in the United States. This is the Philadelphia in Asia Minor, a providence of Rome. Um, he says, he talks to them about doors being opened and that when God opens the door, God, no man can close that door. And that's going to speak very specifically to the people at Philadelphia. So let's read on. And okay. also remember that, that this is the letter that went to all, those, all of these churches. Yes. So all of them got to hear the different greetings. Yes. So it wasn't like... You know, there was part that was specifically for them, but there were parts that they could also learn from from the other churches. Absolutely. All right. So, verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So, notice he said, he, so Jesus says to this church, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. That's because the region of Philadelphia was again an extreme, it was an extreme stronghold of Rome. It was a very highly paganistic world, paganistic city. Um, it was a, there was a really, it was a pagan stronghold. And yet in the middle of this pagan stronghold, God opens the door for there to be another stronghold. And that's the stronghold of the church of Jesus Christ. And so he tells Philadelphia, he said, yep, you, and here's the deal. They're being persecuted right and left. They're being lied about. They're being talked about. They're being mocked because 
they are because what they are teaching actually debunks everything about these pagan gods that are being worshipped in this city. So he said. So when he said you have little strength, that word strength is a spinoff um, of the word dudamus. Um, it's actually dimaeus, uh, which is another example of dynamite or power or strength. So really what he could say is he, he said here, he said, I have set before you an open door that no man can shut it, for thou hast little power. He said, he said uh, church, you have little power. He said, um, but, because, but despite it, you have kept my words and have not denied my name. So there's not a lot of God power opera. Basically, what they're what he says is not that God's not powerful and not showing out. It's just that the pagan gods are appearing in the city to be stronger than the church. They're have, they, they appear to be doing more powerful works than God's church is. But he said, but despite it, you've kept my word um, and you've not denied my name. So let's keep going. All right. And he says, behold. I will make them, or I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Which means that there were Jews in Philadelphia that were worshiping the pagan gods. That's what it means. But I find it interesting that God doesn't, God does, God doesn't, He doesn't cut him any slack. You know, as far as calling out the pagan gods. He said, listen. He said, that's the synagogue of Satan. He flat to, can you imagine us going to one of these, talking to somebody that worships one of these pagan gods and saying, oh, you worship Satan? My God is not Satan. Oh, no, your God is a servant of Satan, actually. What? But God didn't take any, God didn't take any issue was like calling them what it is. He said, um, your gods are of Satan. That's what he said. He said, but behold, he said, I will make them that are serving these pagan gods, which say they are Jews. He said, um, I will make them come and worship before thy feet to know that I have loved thee. Now, we don't know when this occurs. We don't know if there was some great transition in Philadelphia where, um, you know, the power of God became so strong that the Philadelphians came and actually worshipped in that church, or if this is something that happens later, maybe at the Judgment Day or something like that. We don't know. But basically, God has promised them and said, basically, he's telling them, don't worry about them. There will be a day when they will bow down before you. Simply because I have loved you. That's what he said. Maybe if this is in the maybe this is in the millennial reign. It's not specific, but this is the promise of God. Verse ten, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will, or I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now this is a direct. He's directly telling them, you're not going to have to go through the tribulation. Correct. He's directly telling this church that you're not going to have to go through the tribulation, that I will call you up before that happens. Now, remember, these seven, these letters, this letter to these seven churches were not only for their day, because this is prophecy, 
So it was not only the day that this letter was written, but it was for all future days, current day and even our present day, and even the days in the future. All these churches. Basically, he's saying, church, when people come against you, don't get bent out of shape. The day's going to come when they're going to bow down at your feet simply because I love you. The day's going to come when I'm going to call you out, and they're going to be left to deal with what's coming. Basically, they're going to be left to deal with, with the fullness of Satan. The day is coming. And you know he's telling them that he's going to call them up because it says, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, if everybody on the earth is going to get tried, that means they must not be there anymore. How much you know not every single person in the world can fit in the church of Philadelphia? No. <laughs> Let's keep going. All right. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Again, this is the third time to these seven churches Jesus tells them, hold fast. Jesus, again and again and again, is telling the churches, yes, I know there's problems within the ranks, but stay put. Hold fast. Don't, and in this case, he said, don't let any man steal your crown. Don't let anybody take your crown. Well, what does that mean? Jesus obtained a crown for each and every believer. For each and every believer, Jesus obtained a crown. For each and every believer. Because we have what Jesus has in a measure. So he obtained a crown for each and every believer. He obtained righteousness for each and every believer. But if the pressure that's in the church can get you out of the church, if, God, if, if Satan can use pressure in the church to get you out of the church, then what, then what he's doing is he's taking you out of the church and he's placing you in the world on his territory. And if he can get you in his territory and on his territory long enough, he can potentially get you to reject your God, either by... Um, your, the words of your own mouth are by your living actions. He can. Well, I don't believe that's true. Well, I'm here to testify you, to you it is. I don't, know the date of my, I don't know the date of my new birth because I was born again as a small child. I've known, I've known that I've known that I've known that I've known since I was a little child that I was heaven bound. But, but Satan, through the hypocrisy of people in the church, convinced me to leave the church because I was out of offense, and I left the church. And I walked away from the church, and I said these very words to God. God, I love you, but I can't stand your people. I'll serve you all the days of my life, but I don't want anything to do with your people. Now, being an uneducated Christian, I didn't understand that I had just taken the ultimate bait of Satan. Because to come out of the church means I came out from under the protective cover of the pastor, there is a covering that covers you when you're in a church. I took myself out from underneath that protective covering. I took myself out of fellowship with God. And little by little, I let sin into my life. Little by little by little by little by little. And little by little by little, I allowed more and more sin in my life. Drinking and tattooing and other things y'all don't need to know about because I'm not going to glorify the works of the devil, but got into other things. And as I got into those sins, there was a darkness that grew, that grew on, in my inner spirit. Down on the inside. I didn't know it was my spirit because I hadn't been taught that I was a spirit. But there was a darkening 
that was there, 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 where there was once a light, it was becoming darker and darker. I was approaching that place of being cut off from God. Now, there's a mercy and a grace that covers every baby Christian, but mercy and grace will only carry you so far. There's, only a, there's a mercy and grace that will only carry you so far. I truly believe that when there was a pull and a call on my heart to come back to God, if I had not come back to God and kept going down the road I was going, I would have ended up rejecting God completely, either by my lifestyle uh, or, or whatever. Um, and, and hopefully the mercy and grace of God, if that had been my choice, Hopefully he would have allowed me to go out of here prematurely before I lost my salvation. But I can tell you from experience, I know that that cutting was beginning to take place. It was beginning to take place. So when he says, let no man take thy crown, he's saying, listen, don't let the behaviors of people take you out of the place that God has planted you. Amen. Because if he takes, if he takes you out of the place that God has planted you, in time you may lose your crown of righteousness. And you don't want to do that. Your crown of salvation. You may, you don't want to do that. So even though he had some words of warning for the for the church of Philadelphia, this is the one church where he didn't tell them to repent, and he didn't really have any criticism. He he only had basically good things to say and some warnings. Yeah. So for this church, he said, "Don't let anybody take your crowns." And here's some things that I'm that I'm going to promise you. Yep. If, if you do, if you hold fast. And just hold fast. He's, in verse 12, he says, Him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So Mark, verse 12, we're going to come back to it. Um, and we'll, we'll explain each one of those things. Um, but and, and, and for the most part, I agree that the Church of Philadelphia didn't have any criticism, but they did have one minor thing. He said, you have little strength. You have little strength. And how much you know, when you have little strength and little power, it's easily to be bumped out of where you are. Um, so he didn't tell them to repent for it, but he did tell them. He did tell He warned them, basically. You have little strength, so you need to watch and make sure that no that no man takes your crown. All right, so let's go to our let's go to our last church. Uh, I know what our last church has so to say. He, verse thirteen it says, "He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write these things saith the Amen." A, a different is, greeting again. Which is the name of Christ? Amen is is a name of Christ, which means the ultimate truthful he it's it's the it's the all truth there's nothing the infallible truth that's who he is jesus is the infallible truth of god which he kind of goes on to explain that he says the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god glory to god i know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot i would thou wert cold or hot and he says i wish you were either cold or hot so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. So here Jesus, remember in the beginning, Jesus was walking around the candlesticks. He was going from church to church at the beginning of this letter. 
The candlesticks represent the churches in heaven. And so he's walking in and amongst the candlesticks, and this gives us the idea, and he's basically giving a report to every church. He's basically saying, church, you got this right, you got this right, you got this right, oh, but you got this wrong. Or church, yeah, I see you, but you got everything wrong. Or yeah, you got almost everything right, you're doing good, but you're weak in strength. Like he's, he's giving a report to all these churches. So he walks to the candlestick of the Laodiceans, and what he sees makes him where it says, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Well, let's go to that verse. Let's read it. Uh, yeah, verse 16. Yep. He says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will. That phrase, I will, actually doesn't mean that he's, that he's going to. It's not an active I will. It's more like I desire. It's more of an I desire. He said, I desire to spew. That word spew, that's a very nice way of saying, I want to violently project vile, project vile uh, vomit. vomit you out of my, I, I want to vomit you out of my mouth like a, like a projectile. Like, yeah, like, like, I, I don't want you just, I don't want to, I don't want you just away from me, but I want like, forcibly you're making me violently ill yeah you're making me violently your behavior is making me violently ill that's really what it means so what does he mean by I'd, he said he said what is it what does it mean to be lukewarm what does it mean to be lukewarm there's a lot of different beliefs in this there's a lot of different commentaries on this some people believe that the cold is to be the uh to not be born again to be nothing more than the religious person that comes in the church, uh, comes in and fills their spot on the pew and throws their tithe in the in the bucket and might stand and do a prayer or might not, but there's actually no, there's no, they're not born again. It's the un, it's the it's the it's non, the head knowledge instead of the heart knowledge. Right, Christian, and that could be the case. It could also be the case that this is the Christian that's just become very complacent. Very complacent. You know, I've gotten, God got me, I came to Christ because my life was a mess. Now I've got the decent job, the decent house, the decent car. My life's okay. You know, I just want to have fun. I'm not in total ruin, but I'm not really pursuing God either. I tend to think that's more the case than the religious uh, person in the pew. I tend to think that this is more the complacent Christian. Now, that doesn't mean that the religious person in the pew that's not born again um, doesn't apply here. Because how much you know? That would make Jesus want to puke, too. You're giving me lip service, but your hearts are far from me. So if, if that's what lukewarm is, then what does that make cold? So cold, uh, there's some debate on that, too. But cold, for the most part, means that, uh, that you're not saved. Right, uh, which is what I was just saying. And that, and that you've never come to, come to know Christ. Now, uh, many, many people that have never come to know Christ are still hungry for Christ, and they just don't know. They're just, they're, and that's one reason why God's saying, I wish you were cold or hot. Hot we can understand, because that means you're on fire for God, and you're doing everything you're supposed to. Cold is kind of hard to understand, because well, what does that mean? Well, if you've never, if you've never heard of God, and, you, and, you're, and you're hungry for God, hey, I can still I can work with that. We'll get you saved. Right, because a religious person, if that religious mindset, that cold religious person that's not actually saved, 
Have you ever tried to talk to him about God? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to talk to him about God. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was baptized as a baby. I was confirmed. I'm heaven bound. I'm good to go. Um, that's not what the scriptures say. Oh, I was taught the Bible. I know what the Bible says. I'm good. Um, me and God have an agreement. Uh, no, the Bible doesn't. Where's that in the chapter? Can you give me chapter and verse where I can have an agreement with God and yeah, God you can will make your honor own personal it? covenant? <laughs> you know, this is. These all describe cold, you know, lukewarm people. Right. Where if somebody is ice cold, they know they're separated from God. They know they've got problems from God. Or you can even have somebody that's in the church that knows they're ice cold. I'm born again, but man, my walk with God, this isn't there. You can have that. So cold can mean a lot of different things. But cold basically means there's no, um, there, there's just no active fire for God. Lukewarm is everything looks like a, everything looks good on the surface, but really in the heart, the spirit, there's really not much going on. Hot is, man, just give me Jesus more and more and more. What can I do for you, Jesus? Love you, Jesus. Here I go. Now, if we read on, it really gives us a description of cold. If we read, because we just made a lot of surmising about what cold is. But here's what he says. All right. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Oh, my goodness. Does this sound like the unsaved Christian? No. This sounds like, this sounds like the, the uh, lukewarm Christian. This sounds like, this sounds like the lukewarm Christian. This, so does this sound like the religious person? Because he said, he said this. He said, I'm good. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have, been, I have need of nothing. Complacent. Yep. Complacent. He goes, but, but notice there's but, that semicolon. But, yep, and then the semicolon, he says, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So here, so it's very clear that the lukewarm is the saved Christian that has reached the point of, I've got my basic needs met and I'm good. That's the lukewarm Christian. So the lukewarm is not the unsaved. The lukewarm is not the one that's not the Christian that's been cut off from God. Lukewarm is the Christian that's, that's complacent. Lukewarm is the Christian that says, yeah, Jesus took care of my basic needs and I don't need any more. And this is what God says about that Christian. Or about that church. Or, well, about that church, but also about that lukewarm Christian. Yeah. He, <laughs> he says, thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked, and you don't even know it. Yep. Yeah. He's wretched. In other words, you don't you you've got sin in your life and you don't even know that you're a wretched sinner. Lukewarm Christian. You're miserable. In other words, you've got problems and issues in your life that I could fix, but you won't come to me to fix them. Lukewarm Christian. And poor. Well, I've got money in the bank, but you have no actual life. You have issues of insecurity. You have issues of uh, you, you have issues of maybe a low friend life or a low there's just there's things in your life that are lacking that you want and desire because God said I came to give you all that you desire you know Jesus uh, the Bible says that if you'll be willing and obedient you'll have the desires of your heart well the lukewarm Christian is neither willing nor obedient so they have desires that aren't being met that's what he's talking about. 
um, you're blind. You don't even see that. You don't even see your true spiritual state. Listen. Oh, Holy Ghost. Listen. So in, in, in this state, in this state, right, in this state, you're going, well, I've got everything I need. I'm, I'm on the right track to go to heaven. I'm good to go. You know, why do I really need to study my Bible? Why do I need to seek after Jesus? Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to meditate? Why, why do I need to reach out to sinners and, and help get them saved? Why do I need to go to Blind. church? Blind, why do I need to go to church? Why can't I go have my beer on Friday night and party at the bar when I can go to church on Sunday morning and get clean? You're blind. Because you are not, because when you're partying with the devil on Friday night, you're not walking with the God. What'd you say? Listen. Well, I'm going to go... You're blind because you're going to watch the R-rated movie or today a PG-13 movie, and you're like, "Hey, come on, Jesus, let's go watch this film." Are you are you crazy? I, I maybe Jesus says looks at you and says, "I don't want to see that filth. I don't want to see that disgust. I don't want to hear that." Running through running through the reels on TikTok and Facebook or whatever else. And you're like, oh, man, this is cool. This is good. And you're blinded to the fact that you're listening to filthy, nasty music. You're blind. You're blind to the sin that's opening the door to Satan in your life. Well, I can just tell a little lie and it won't matter. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. It'll help protect. That's fine. It's, it's fine that I tell a little lie. Nobody will know. It's okay. I can lie. It's perfectly acceptable. I mean, they're not going to accept what I'm doing anyway, so just to spare them and make them feel better, I'm going to tell a little lie. And you'll Jesus know, said, and you're God blind. Will know, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they can ask. I was asked a point blank question, but I can skirt it this way. Blind. Lukewarm. That's lukewarm. Lukewarm. If you're hiding things, you're lukewarm. All right. Got quiet in this Pentecostal house. Uh-huh. So, but there's a way out. Yes. Praise thank God. you, Lord. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. How do you bite? Go ahead. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. How do you buy of Jesus gold? He's talking to the churches, and he could be talking to this church today. And Jesus comes down, he walks around, he looks at you, and he says, Church, I recommend that you buy uh, gold. That's been refined in, in the fire. That's been refined in the fire. How do you do it? So glad you asked. So glad you asked. That's part of your reward. That has to do with re- your reward. God says that when he blesses you, he pays you wages. Wages. So how you buy gold of him refined in the fire is you do the works of Christ. 
you be a doer of the word. You take your thoughts captive. You control your conversations. You control your actions. You put your flesh under control. That's how you buy your gold is you be a doer of the word. He basically said, lukewarm church, it's not enough to just have your ticket stamped for heaven. He said, lukewarm church, it's not enough for it to use me like a slot machine to get the, the decent life and then just to lay back in life and coast. See, that's not enough. He said, you're still naked. Now, I got thinking about this naked. Because Jesus is concerned about the spirit, and he's walking in the spirit. So how can you be in heaven and be naked? Think of Adam and Eve. What did they do when they ate of the tree of good and evil? They realized they were naked and they they sewed fig leaves together. I'm pretty sure what Jesus is really saying is you have nothing more than garments of salvation. And you don't even know it. And he equates garments of salvation to being naked. Or fig leaves. That's what he equates it to. Yeah, right? that's it. They're going to heaven in a speedo. Like, you, like he's, he's looking at this lukewarm church, and he said, Church, you're going to heaven, and you're going in a speedo. That's all you got. The fig tree, the fig leaf speedo, that's all you got. See, that's all you're getting to heaven in. Listen, I don't want to go to heaven in the fig leaf speedo. Yeah, grape leaves. I don't want to get there in that. I don't want to get there naked. No, no, no. I want to buy gold tried in fire so I can build up, so I can get the garments of righteousness, which is a robe that covers from head to feet or from shoulders to feet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, come on. He said, come on, let's get this thing down. He said, he, and here's easy. He said, uh, I counsel. In other words, he's saying, I advise you. I advise you. Uh, to buy me, to buy of me gold, try to fire, that thou mayest be rich. He said, um, I'm, I'm advising you that you, when you get to heaven, you want to be rich. You want the reward, church. He's, he's, he's walking in this lukewarm church who's not really building up any works. And he's going, I'm advising you, you want to be rich when you get there. And then he says, uh, and white raiment, you want the white raiment, church. You want that. You don't want to be naked. You want the white raiment. That thou may, look at what he said, that thou mayest be clothed. Another indicator that the garments of salvation is a speedo. Fig leaves, grape leaves, something. He said, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. In other words, you don't want to get to heaven in your grape leaves, fig leaves, speedo, whatever, your garments of salvation, and everybody go, Wow. That's all you did? That's, boy, that's all you did for Jesus? And how because long were you in the church? Because that is what it will say. How, how, how long were you in the church? Well, I was born and raised, born, raised and died in the church. How long did you live? Oh, I lived till I was in my 90s. <laughs> all right. You don't want that. Come on, you don't want that. Right? Yeah, exactly. You want the speedos looking at you going, wow, that looks, how do I get one of those? Oh, you done missed out on that sale. (laughs) All right. 
the price went up. <laughs> and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou may seest. He said, listen, he said, you really want me to open? He said, you really? Because remember, you know, I, they used eye salve to help clear up. You know your eyesight. Vision he problems. said. He said you really. He said you really want the eye. He said basically, and this is what we always pray. Lord, give open the eyes of my understanding. He said uh, you need to go get you a lukewarm church. You need to go get you some eye salve because what you're thinking you're because you're thinking you're going to be okay when you get there and you're going to be looking around in your speedo going. How, where, how come you got a crown? How come? How come I'm wearing this and you're wearing that? Hey. How come you're in a mansion? Yeah, why are you in a mansion and I'm not here? I'm out here in, in, in you know. Well, I'm in the street, but yeah. Wait till, we, wait till we get to the description of heaven. You'll find out where they're at. They're not in the, they're within the wall, but they're not in the city. You want to be in the city. You don't want to be in the wall. You want to be in the city. Yeah, you want to be in the city. Come on. All right, let's go on. All right. Do you, get, do you get the point? You don't want to be lukewarm. You want to be hot and on fire because you're done past the point of cold, church. You're, 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 your two options are lukewarm or hot. So uh, choose hot. Choose hot. Choose the fire. Come on. Be actively working for yes. Christ. All Come right. on. So behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. In other words, Jesus is going to the people that are like this, that are lukewarm, and he's knocking on their heart going, won't you come read the word? Won't you come see? Oh, did we? Oh, my bad. All right, 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Meaning, he loves, I love you guys, that's why I'm telling you this. I know it's hard to hear, but I love you. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. <laughs> he said this. He said, he, said, he said, I love you, therefore I rebuke and chasten. Rebuke is, the rebuke and chasten is like, I'm correcting you, and I'm correcting you sternly. Yeah. I'm I like, like, okay, this is a problem, and are you kidding me right now? Like, let's fix this. Like, there's a difference. But notice what he said about being rebuked and being chastened. Colin, be zealous. In other words, go after God that he may correct you. Go looking for God for correction. Because if, God, if, if you're not looking for correction, if you're one of those people, how dared that pastor correct me? Who did they think it? Naked. <laughs> Naked. Naked. No, no, no. No, no, no. I Listen, when I was under the pastors that didn't like to correct anybody, I honestly went to them and I said, listen, I was this bold with my pastors privately. I looked them square in the face and I said, I need, you need to listen to them. I said, I need, I need your help. What do you need? I said, the Bible says that God chastens and rebukes those whom he loves. And I said, I know personally you have a problem correcting your people. But if you're not correcting me, I don't know that my God is loving me. So I need you to correct me if I do when I do something wrong. And they're like, no, you don't ever do that. I'm like, seriously? You don't know my God because my God says that he's constantly rebuking me and chastening me. 
constantly. Listen, teenagers, if your parents are constantly rebuking you and chasing you, chastening you, then you should be excited because that means that they love you. And they want you to grow up to be a good human being. So he said, be zealous for it. In other words, in other words e- eagerly desire to be rebuked. Now, that's something that will mess up the world. E- eagerly desire to be corrected. What? You want, some, you want me to have somebody correct me? Oh, gosh. No. Yeah, I do. And then, and then when you get corrected, do what? Repent. 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 Zach, what happens to kids whose parents don't care anything about them? They end up in a mess. Well, and if they don't find if they don't find God, where do they end, eventually end up? There you go. There you go. Yep, there you go. Death. All right, Miss Bridget, did you have something? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Two-year-olds not being corrected. Come on. All right. So verse 20 says that God is standing at the door. Eventually they become senators. (laughs) I'm sorry. You need to repent. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Not all senators are that way. You need to repent. (laughs) Plain and simple, you need to repent. Verse 20. Jesus standing at the door. To the lukewarm. Lukewarm. Hello to the cold. Lukewarm. But mainly to the mainly to the lukewarm. He's knocking. What's he saying? He's saying, Hello. Um, I would like to spend time with you. Um, hello, don't talk that way. Um, hello, don't go see that movie. Um, hello, you don't need that drink. Um, hello. He's what's he trying to do? He's trying to get your attention. So he can get you in right fellowship with him. And he's like, uh, nobody's answering the door. But then he said this. He said, if, if, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. God is a perfect gentleman. Let me make this very clear. God is a perfect gentleman, and God is not going to just one day come in and take your lukewarmness away from you. He's not. He's not going to come in one day and just miraculously set you free from all of your flesh issues and you're going to walk perfectly upright in God. That's not how this works. He stands at the door knocking. Knocking on that door. and he's, But unless you get up and you go answer the door and respond, he's not going to do anything. He's not going to bust the door open like SWAT and come in and just clean out house. He's not going to do that. He's going to stand at the door and he's going to knock, which means you've got to get up. You've got to go to the door. You've got to answer the door. You have to invite him to come in, and then you have to sit down and fellowship with him. You have to act when he says, when he says, now listen. He says, I know you've got this issue in your life, and I really want to set you free from this issue, but um, he said, I'm going to give you the strength and the power and the ability to overcome it, but when the desire hits, You need to speak to that thing and say, no, I'm not doing that in Jesus' name. 
When that desire comes, when that thought comes, the minute that thought pops in your head, you need to speak to that thought and say, no, I'm not behaving that way. And you need to force yourself to think of something different. Why? Because Jesus is a perfect gentleman, and he's not going to force you to do anything. He said, but when you hear his voice and you open the door, he will come in and he will sit down and, and have fellowship and sup with you. It means have a meal with you and he with me. In other words, when, the door, when somebody's knocking at the door, if you'll get up, you'll go over, you say, hey, Jesus, come on in. Let's go sit down. Let's have a meal together. Then the two of us can sit down, have a meal, and talk to each other. That's how you get past being lukewarm. That's how you get past it. All right, let's read just a little bit more. Verse 21. Is that where we're at, or are we on 20? Nope, we're on verse 21. Okay, 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I am set down with my father in in his throne. Is there anything special about you? That that requires words. <laughs> yes, yes. There's something special about me. That what he gave you is very special. You're good. I'm just. I no, know. no, you don't hate I, this. I, I'm, I'm picking on you, but at the same time, I want you to know that God thinks very highly of you. So Let much so that he, he granted you to sit in the throne with him. Don't ever think you're not special. That's right. That's right. Glory to God. Glory he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right. All right. Y'all just hang with me just a couple of minutes. Uh, let's go. I want to go to chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. All right. I want to look at, I kept telling you to mark these certain verses because I want you to look at, mm. at, at these things. It doesn't oh, matter gotcha. what problem you have in your church. Jesus said to hold fast if you're part of the problem to repent and, and to get right with him. If you'll do that then in every situation, he offers a reward. Okay? So let's look at the rewards, and that's what these rewards are. And there's seven of them. In chapter... Uh, in verse, chapter 2? Chapter 2, verse 7, or verse, yeah, verse 7. We'll start about halfway down. Uh, we can just read it. It's fine. Okay. Verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. I will give to eat of the tree of life. So the first reward is you get to eat of the tree of life. What is the tree of life? That's the tree that you eat from so that you can live eternally. That's the same tree that was placed in the garden for Adam and Eve. So he tells us if, you'll over, if, we, if, we, if we'll stay with God through all of this, then we'll get to go back to God's original design and eat from the tree of life. Now go to verse 10 of the same chapter. Now, remember, this was the church um, of Smyrna where they were being persecuted um, unto death and, uh, because they would not bow down to the, to the king, because they would not bow down and, and uh, claim Caesar to be Lord. So for those that were being persecuted in that moment, at the end of verse 10, 
he said, uh, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. See that? You get a crown. Now let's look at verse 11. Because that, that pertained to the people that were dying in that day. But now let's look at verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. You get eternal life. So the second promise is you get a crown. And you don't have to be afraid of being uh, eternally separated from God. You don't have to suffer the second death. Isn't that awesome? Now go to verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. So the hidden manna, Jesus refers to him uh, to himself as the bread of life. So that means that when you get to heaven, you get to take part. And it doesn't mean that you're actually eating Jesus. No, what it means is you get to take part of, of everything that the bread of life has provided for you. You get to take part of everything. that Because we truly don't understand everything that Jesus has obtained for us, which is why he's the hidden manna. But, the, but he's not done yet. And we'll give him a white stone. Now, I said this. In, in biblical times, and even in our early history of our nation, when you went on a trial, when you, when you, if you had a, if you went up, if you had charges against you, and there was a trial, and you had to be found innocent or guilty, if you were found guilty, they'd give you a black stone. If you were found innocent, they would give you a white stone. So when he says, I will give unto, thee, give unto him a white stone, that means he's going to give you a record that you are innocent. He's yep. going to give you a you stone of innocence. You will be found innocent. innocent of all charges. Yeah, you're going to be found innocent of all charges. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So you're going to receive a new name. God, Jesus is going to hand you a stone, and in that stone is going to be a name, and only you will know what that name is. That's your new name. He gives you a brand new name. It's a very big thing when God renames you. And so part of overcoming is you get brand new names. See, on the earth, you're given a name by your parent. But when you overcome, you're given a name. God gives you your name. God gives you your name. So you'll actually receive your spiritual name when you get your white stone. How cool is that? How cool is that? You'll get your spiritual name when you, get, when you overcome these things. That is so cool to me. Go to verse 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Go ahead and read the next verse. And he shall well, rule, actually, to the end, yeah. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith now, unto the church. This one is phenomenal to me. This has to do with the millennial reign of Christ. Um, so we'll live this life. We'll get taken out of here as long as we're actually believers of Christ and, and walking it out. We'll go out of here. There'll be seven years of, of tribulation. And then Jesus with the righteous, with the, with the righteous, with those that went out of here in the rapture and the saints of old, 
will come back and we will actually rule um, as governors and kings under the authority of Jesus. We actually rule. You actually will have rule. And based on, based on your life here now will depend on the region that you will rule over in heaven or in the millennial reign. So he says, to him that will overcome uh, and keepeth my works unto the end. So your works have to, like I said, what you do here on the earth will have part to play in how big a region you rule in the millennial reign of Christ. To him will I give power over the nations. That word nations uh, doesn't necessarily mean a nation like we think of, but it means a nation as in a group of people. A group of people. Because understand that um, during the seven-year millennial reign, there's still going to be people on the earth that still deny Christ even... I mean, there's still going to be people that deny Christ. There's still going to be people here that are still going to deny Christ. But when Jesus comes at the end and he puts Satan in the tomb then the, everything on the earth will be perfect for a thousand years. Everything will be perfect. He'll have righteous rulers over the land. Jesus will be here. There won't be Satan to tempt anybody, to, to do anything, to cause anybody any temptations. And yet there will still be people that will still deny Christ during the millennial reign. But we will have rule in the millennial reign. So where he says... Uh, that I'm going to give you nations, that means you're going to have a group of people that are going to be under your authority as governor. And then he said this. He said, he said this. He said, and you shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's a scepter. scepter thank you. <laughs> I almost said the wrong word again. A scepter. You know, that's basically, basically you're going to have this, um, rod that shows your authority and uh he says and um and you're going to rule with a rod of iron as vessels of the potter shall be broken into shivers now this this scripture i really understand because my mom is a potter and i'm telling you what when she does her pottering she talks to that clay and she says come on you're going to do what i want you to do and she i mean she's she's tough on that clay because she wants it to be right and to do right. And when it doesn't come out right, gets broke into shivers. In other words, she's a righteous judge of her handiwork. She declares this one's right, this one's okay, but it's what they call a second. I mean, there's nothing technically wrong with it. But it's got a little flaw here, a little wobble there. It's a little out of shape there. And then there's the ones that are just wrong, just wrong. Not useful. Yeah, not useful. So, so he said, he said, and basically what he said is we're going to judge just like, he said, you're going to rule just like I rule. We're going to rule just like Jesus rules. But why? Because the Father has given him. And you're going to rule with the authority and power that Jesus had, all through Jesus. Now, where it says, I will give him the morning star, this is a little confusing because Jesus is sometimes referred to morning star, but the morning is different when you look at the original context. And Satan is also referred to as um, the morning star in that uh, he was in heaven, he was this, what they called the star of the morning. In other words, he, that, that he was... I guess he was at the throne room of dawn, at dawn. It's not super clear. 
But when you look this up, the indication is he's going to give you regions or areas to rule and reign over is really what this particular morning star looks like. All right, so that's really cool that we get to do all of that. All right, now let's go to chapter 3, verse 4 and 6. Chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And five. Okay. Thou hast few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white. So this is, there's a few people in this church that have, stayed, that have maintained their righteous walk. They're not getting the Speedo. They're getting the full garment, head to toe, white robe. That's what they're getting. But so does everybody that overcomes these types of church issues. Let's read verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So Glory again, to God. White raiment. There's your white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Glory to God. Do you know that the moment you were conceived, your name was written in the book of life? And because you've overcome these issues, now listen, the indication is, is if you don't overcome, your name will get blotted out. Think that through. If you don't overcome the issues in the church, you're at risk of your name being blotted out. He said, but no, if you'll overcome these issues, I will not blot your name out. Now, this is really important. Let's keep reading. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This is so important because what it means is Jesus isn't going to deny you before the father. But it also means that when the angels go to rapture the church... When the angels come to rapture the church. See, gee, we're going up to meet Jesus in the sky. But it's going to be the angels that come around in rapture. Uh, you want Jesus to call your name out. You want Jesus to call your name out. You want Jesus to tell the angels, go get Derek, go get Brianna, go get James, go get Sue, go get Richard. You want your name called out. There's a reason that he calls your name before the angels. It's because it's the angels that come to get you. All right. All right. Verse 12. In other words, you don't go without the Father's approval. All right, so now let's go to verse 12. Yep. So, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Well, it, what you don't know is that, that in Philadelphia it was custom in the, in the temples of the other gods yep. that it, if, they, if there was somebody that was a big to-do, a big an important person they would they would they would write his name on a temple pillar and then that and then whatever he did for that that temple would be remembered throughout history because it was written in stone as on on the temple so god's saying i'll make you a part jesus saying i'll i'll make a pillar in the temple of my god and he shall go no more out i will write upon him the name of my god and the so he's going to make us into a pillar of the temple of, right. of God's he's temple, gonna, and, then gonna, and then he's going to write God's name on us, so we'll know, you know, who we belong to, and then he's going to write the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, on us, so we'll know where we belong, and then he's going to then uh, he's going to write his name, Jesus's name, his new name upon us. Right. The other thing about this where it says, um, and you will not have to go out, you shall go no more out, is in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was very prone oh, to earthquakes. Oh, I forgot about that part. Very, very prone to earthquakes. 
So when they so so every time they turned around, they were having earthquake alerts. Yeah, and they'd have to run out of the city because the the yeah. the, the, the temples and stuff would fall down yeah. on them if they didn't. So so here they are <laughs> worshiping their pagan gods that are supposed to protect them, but then their temples would begin to shake, and if they didn't run from their gods, uh, they would get crushed. So God said, "Yeah, you're not going to have that problem in heaven." He says, "You don't. You won't have to run out anymore. Says, no more. No more earthquake anymore. alerts for you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're, he said. He so he said this. He said, um, "He said I will um, make you a pillar." He said, or he's going to make a pillar um, in the temple of God, uh, and and on there we're not going to have to run out of this temple. This temple is not going to be unsteady, and upon him the name of god so he's going to write like he said can you imagine that you're going to have the name of god written across your chest everything that satan has is a counterfeit everything that god does is a counterfeit tattooing is the devil's counterfeit for god writing his name upon your chest it's a counterfeit it's a counterfeit for god writing the name of the new jerusalem across you it's a counterfeit counterfeit everything that satan has is a counterfeit for god he has no new ideas and if you think that god's okay with tattooing well you come and have a conversation with me personally and i'm not degrading anybody i have two of them but i haven't gotten any more since i learned how god thinks about them glory to god all right just we just got to finish this up i know we're way over but i really want to finish this points up all right so what verse are we on now uh, i guess we're going 21? verse 21 oh, there it is you're right okay to him that overcometh will i grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame. And I am set down with my father in his house. So you're going to sit with Jesus in his throne. As he sits in his throne with God. Yes. It's one giant throne. It's one giant throne. Huh? The one who's been thrown, the one that has been to the throne room of heaven who has sat in the Father God's lap said, that's not wrong. She's seen the throne. She's sat in the throne. Now, we've all sat in the throne. We just don't know it. She knows it. She's spiritually been there. While we stood there and held her for 45 minutes crying while he did 45 minutes boohooing in the spirit. God pulling out all of those hurts and all of those pains. See, we're already seated. Isn't this amazing what we get when we overcome? Man, See, oh man. And, the, and this these is promises good. here are what he's going to do with his favorites. That's right. And we're one of the favorites. We're all his favorite. You can proudly roll back your shoulders, puff out your chest, hold up your head, and say, I am the favorite of God. Amen. Amen. I am the favorite of God. God is going to write his name upon my chest. God is going to write the name of his holy city upon my chest. God is going to write his name, write my brand new name on my, on my stone that declares that I'm innocent of all charges. Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm sure we will be able to. Yes, ma'am. We will be able to pronounce it. God will give us the ability. <laughs> yes, we will be able to pronounce it. Oh, I love it. 
I love it. The things that we think of, right? Because I, honestly, Judy, I cannot lie. I thought the same thing. God, give me one that I can pronounce. Well, you, be, you better start learning to read Greek now. So, you know. <laughs> Say Hebrew. <laughs> Hebrew. Hebrew, the original language, Hebrew. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. So now we know what God has said to the seven churches. Next week, we will definitely get to the throne of God. That's verse, that's chapter four. Um, and we'll start to sail through them at this point. But we just had to we just had to get it out, y'all. Yeah, chapter four is kind of short, anyways. But we definitely yeah. don't have time tonight. Yeah, <laughs> glory to God. Well, if uh, our ushers will come, we'll do tithes and offerings. If you'll bless quickly, glory, glory, glory. You gonna bless? Yes. Cece. Oh Lord, thank you for showing us what it's like to be your favorite, Lord. Thank you for showing us that that if we will stand fast which is all you ask us to do is just to stand. If we will become overcomers, that you will, you will bless us and that we will be your favored. And Lord, we just love you and we thank you. We know that, you, that you've given, already given us more than we could ever ask, hope, or think. And Lord, we just want to give back unto, you, unto your kingdom. And so we do. We give generously and we give with a joyous heart. We give because you gave first and because you have already promised so much more. Lord, we thank you and we ask you to bless this offering, that it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or thank to the doing of your work in this world. Because it needs to be done. Thank you, we Father. need to reach out. We need there's so many needs that the church that, that your church has, and we want to give unto that. We want to be a part of making it happen. And Lord, just help us to do that. And bless us that we can become an even greater blessing. We thank you, Lord. And Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. You will not take this word, and you will not steal our things, because we are tithers, and we are faithful unto the Lord, and we are his children, and, and we are protected. And we have the authority in the name of Jesus Christ, and we command you to leave us alone and leave our things alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Angels, go forth and bring in, bring in the blessings in Jesus' name. Yes, thank you, Father. Amen and amen. You may serve the people.